So today's message is called A Heart That Hears God. Say, I want to hear God. And you know, most of the time when he speaks, there are a few people that hear an audible voice of God. Um, the audible voice of God showed up a couple times in Jesus's ministry, once when he was getting baptized, once at the transfiguration. But not often do most people hear an audible voice of God. I have never heard an audible voice of God. When I hear God speak, he typically speaks in that still small voice, and I hear him in my heart. And so today, that's why I titled the word, A Heart That Hears God, because God wants to give you the kind of heart that hears him. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and active. It's what? Alive and active. Oh, the, it doesn't say the word of God was for back in the day, back for the old folks back in the day, and you have to be a scholar to understand it, and it's really complicated, and you, you've got to have a, a doctorate in theology to, to, to even grasp it. And, no, no, no. It says the word of God is what? Alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Some of you guys might remember just a while ago, I, I did a, a short teaching on what that means, the double-edged sword. And it, the, in the actual Greek, it means two-mouthed. Talk about the weirdest definition. Like in the Greek, it actually means two mouth. I'm like, that is weird. And then I, I read on and I remember that, see, when Jesus is coming back, the book of Revelation said that he's coming back with a sword and it's not on his side. Where does it say in the book of Revelation, the sword is actually coming out of the mouth. And so this is what it is. He's saying the word of God, it, it is a rhema word for you. It is a today word. So it comes out of first, it proceeds from God's mouth and then you receive it in your heart and you receive it for yourself, and then the double edge, the two mouth, then you start to speak it out of your mouth. You declare it, and that's when power happens, friends. We have got to realize that the word of God is powerful. The word of God is alive and active, and when you start to declare the word of God over your situation and over your life, friends, things happen. Things happen. And so today we're going to talk about um, a, a, a man in the Bible named Samuel. He's one of my favorites, although I say that about a lot of people, but he really is one of my, in my top five, at least, Old Testament um, guys here. And we're going to talk about how he received that double-edged sword, okay? How he received the word of God that came out, the sword that came out of God's mouth. He received it in his heart, and then it came out of his mouth, because that's how God wants to speak to us. He doesn't want us just to speak in his name something that we have not heard and received, friends. There's authority when we speak in his name, when we've heard it, we've believed it, we've received it, and then we speak it. And so this is what Samuel did, but he had to learn, and so do we. We have to learn to have a heart that hears God. Amen? We got to learn that. And so we're going to learn that today in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and I want you guys to really tune in because I am going to read this entire passage because the word of God is what? Alive and active. So tune in. This is really good. It says, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark was. The Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. 
So he went back and he lied, lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Friends, there's some of you in this place like that. Okay, Samuel actually grew up in the temple, grew up in the church, and he knew God, but he didn't know God. Some of us know God, but we have not yet known God. We're going to get there. The Lord had not been revealed to him. The third time, say on the third time. The third time, praise the Lord. On the third time, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls, you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lie down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. Hmm. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I had spoke against his family from the beginning to the end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because the sin he knew about, his sons blasphemy God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid, say afraid. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you. Be it ever so severely if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Friends, this passage is deep. God wants us to learn to hear him when he calls. There's so much we can learn from this account about, the thing, about tuning in to the heart of God and having the kind of heart that can really hear him. But we're going to just break down five things here. A heart that tunes in is a heart that is a troubled heart. Say, say troubled. See, trying times should trouble your heart and cause you to tune into what God is saying. Trying times should cause us to tune in. Troubled times should cause us to tune in. See, at this time, Israel was a loose federation of tribes. There, there was enemies attacking from all over, especially from Philistine, and who happened to be a military genius at this time, and they were coming and they were oppressing the people of Israel. Not only did they have threats from the outside, but they had threats from the inside. They, Eli's own sons blasphemy God and did some very disgusting, disrespectful things in the temple of God. That's for a different sermon, friends. But 
there was a lot of things going on. See, when, when we're in trouble times, oftentimes not only do we have threats from the outside, sometimes we have threats from the inside. Come on, somebody. It's not only things that's going on in our nation that should give us uh, trouble in our heart, that should have us thinking, man, we need God, but oftentimes it's things in our own household that should make or wake us up and make us realize, man, I need God. Friends, oftentimes it's in troubled times that God speaks. During this period, the Israelites had very little concern, though, in listening to God's voice, and they had even less interest in expressing his will to society. Kind of sounds a little bit like where we are at in the American culture today. Amen. See, their worship had been corrupt for private gain. God was not a steady companion to the people, for they only cried out to God when they were in crisis. Oh, when things are going well, we don't give thanks. We don't, we're not grateful. But when a crisis happens, then we cry, we cry, we cry out. Uh, Pastor Earl actually termed this crisis Christian. We see a lot of it, especially in South Toledo. It's like, oh man, I got fired yet again for the fifth time. I'm coming to church and I, I, I need their help. And then, and then as soon as we get ourselves back together and we're actually working, oh, I can't work. I can't come to church on Sunday now because I'm working. I've seen that happen a thousand times over. But friends, I've realized that crisis is actually a friend to the church because how many of us really got our hearts right in a crisis? That's when God got a hold of me is when, it was in a, when I was in a crisis. And then I realized I have a troubled heart and I need to get right. And so God wants to speak to the troubled hearts in this place. Maybe you're experiencing crisis from the outside. Maybe it's something you have no control over. Maybe it's in your job or even in a family part that you have no control of. But maybe you're also experiencing some kind of crisis inwardly. Maybe you are doubting your own faith. Maybe you are going through depression. Maybe there's something inwardly that, that, that's causing crisis, that's causing your heart to be troubled. Friends, I'm here to speak to you today to let you know that God wants to speak to your troubled heart today. So the Israelites at this point had pretty much abandoned God and they weren't in really communion with God. But God still showed up. I love what Amos says in 8.11. It says, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, where I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Lord, that's, that's the worst kind of famine, friends. That's the worst kind of famine. When, when it's not about food, it's not about hunger physically, but there's a famine where, where the word of the Lord is not spoken. And it says here in the beginning of, of 1 Samuel 3 that the word of the Lord at that time was what? Rare. But doesn't this sometimes sound like America today? Well, even when we just think about the statistics, which I'm going to get into here later on, of, of different generations and how we are lacking the true pure revival that, that our grandparents talked about. But yet, friends, there's still hope because God still speaks even in troubled times. Thank God we still have some Christians who are hungry for more of God and still want to hear his voice. And I believe those people are in this room today. That's why we're here, because we're hungry to hear God's voice. And in our trouble, we're going to take heart and trust in the Lord. See, Samuel lived in troubled times, and he was unique. He was rare because he was willing to tune in to hear the voice of God. Friends, I want to be unique. Don't you want to be unique in this place today? Don't you want to be precious, set apart, and rare? Well, friends, when you really tune in to hear 
the voice of God. Not very many people are doing that. Not enough anyway. When you do it, it sets you apart and it makes you, it makes you rare. It makes you unique. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in troubled times, if you have trouble in your family, and I don't know very many people who don't have some kind of trouble in their life, instead of making it make you run around and feel like you got to work it all out yourself and you got to fix it, tune in and let God speak to you because he wants to speak to you. So God speaks to the kind of heart that's a troubled heart. If you want to tune in, a heart that tunes in is not only a troubled heart, it's a tender heart. Can you say tender? Tender. See, God speaks to those with sensitive hearts, soft hearts, tender hearts. When you have a tender heart, you must learn to discern the difference between condemnation and conviction. I want to just put this little side note teaching in here for just a second. Because a lot of us get confused what condemnation is and conviction. Sometimes the Lord brings conviction to us and we say, oh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we don't take the opportunity to repent because we think, oh, well, I'm saved. So, I mean, there's, there's people who think I'm saved, so therefore I can do whatever I want. And listen, it's not a new teaching. Paul said, uh, listen, should gra- just because grace abounds, does that mean I should just go on sinning? Heaven forbid, no, that's not what it means. But there's some people still to this day that think, oh, I'm saved, so I could just do whatever I want. I remember one time we had some kids at the basketball court and uh, some uh, Mormon missionaries were in the neighborhood that day. I believe they were Mormons. Maybe they were Jehovah Witnesses. Somebody who had it off. And <laughs> they stopped by to talk to our kids in our church basketball court and was telling them, oh, well, you, you know, you've already said a salvation prayer. And then one kid said, well, the, the, the other guy who was teaching them, trying to teach him, said, well, you can go out and rob a bank and it doesn't matter because you've, you said the salvation prayer. And one of our interns were out there when he said that. He said, hold up. <laughs> that is not true. See, because when we really get right with God, when we really make a covenant with God, we want to please him. That's like saying, well, Josh and I got married 16 years ago, and, and we made our vows. And, and since we've already made our vows now, we don't have to respect the uh, terms of agreement. We can just go do whatever. You can go be with whoever you want. I could please. Please, right? Come on. We wouldn't want that in our marriage relationship, but yet we allow that in our relationship with God. Like, God, you're my God, but I'm still going to do whatever I want. And and because the church has not taught the difference between condemnation and conviction, we get confused and think, I have this magic formula. I said a prayer in VBS when I was in third grade, and therefore I don't ever have to repent of sins. See, I was saved. I'm being saved. I'm going to be saved. He's the one who is, who was, and is to come, friends. We need to have a real understanding of what salvation really means. And that starts understanding the difference between condemnation and conviction. So condemnation is this. Condemnation is judgment. When, you, when, when, when there is judgment, it is, uh, condemnation is when uh, there's, you're, there's worthy of punishment. So when you condemn someone, there's a judgment, they're worthy of punishment. And in Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're not, because we're in Christ Jesus, there's, there's, there, we're not worthy of the punishment because Jesus paid the price for the punishment. But there's still a thing called conviction. Say conviction. Now conviction is different than condemnation. Conviction, friends, is to be convinced of. Can, can you say convinced of? I love this because conviction convinced of is pretty easy to remember. Convi- conviction is when you are convinced that there, is, that, that there is sin in your life. When God sheds the light on that secret thing that you've been justifying. 
Oh, it's okay that I'm hiding in my little sin over here, even though I know it's wrong because I'm a Christian and there's no condemnation in me. Then conviction comes in and the light shed like, mm, girl, you know you didn't have to eat that much of that donut cake. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, or, oh, girl, you know you didn't have to go spend that money on the, on the credit card, you know, justifying it when you know you shouldn't be spending money and saying, but it was a good sale. Okay, I'm being silly here, and I did not do that, honey, thank you, just so you know. <laughs> but it could be whatever, it could be, oh, it's okay to listen to this secular song because, you know, it really understands what I'm going through. And I'm not saying that you could never listen to secular songs. That's between you and God. But I'm saying it's a slippery slope, friends. And we start feeding ourselves when we're in our troubled times and then we're feeding ourselves all this music that's making us feel like we just need to go get drunk so that we can feel better. And it's okay to get drunk. It's okay to drink because the Bible says you shouldn't drink, but you just shouldn't. You, you can drink, but you just can't be drunk. Friends, how much is too much before you get drunk? We justify ourselves instead of allowing the conviction of the Holy Spirit to actually convince us and let the light shine on, we make excuses. And friends, when you keep doing that, guess what? You won't have a tender heart. You won't have a sensitive heart. You know what you're going to have? Stop preaching my message. (laughs) A hardened heart. I love preaching when this fine man of God is in the front row. It's so fun. You're going to have a hardened heart. Because when you make excuses for your sin, your heart will be hardened, friends. Instead, we need to be like David and say, search me, O Lord. I invite you to shed the light on me. Because sometimes we don't even realize it. But when we invite God to come and shed the light on the secret things that we don't even realize is wrong, things that we've been justifying, oh, friends, he will. Sometimes we justify our attitudes like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm their mom. I can speak to them any kind of way. Oh, Jesus, shut the light because I still got to treat my children with love and respect so they know how to treat their lo- children with love and respect. Oh, well, this has just been the way I've been all my life. It's who I am. No, 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 friends. I'm 60 years old, and it's who I've been. It's who I've always been. It's who I'm always going to be. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. See, when the light comes on, when the Holy Spirit sheds, we have no rights. We gave up our rights when we became Christians, friends. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Amen? Who wants a tender heart in here today? Well, see, God spoke to Samuel, and he had a tender heart. You know what I love? Josephus, the Jewish historian, believes that Samuel was probably about 12 years old when God spoke to him here. That's why, you know, Eli said, the boy, Samuel, right? Oftentimes, the younger we are, young people, the more tender our heart is because the world has not hardened our heart. And so as mentors, as aunties and uncles and moms and dads and grandparents in the house today, we've got to help form our young people and, and make sure that the world is not hardening their heart because the world wants to harden them, that they would keep a sensitive heart. And see, Samuel had a sensitive heart. He had a tender heart, and God was able to speak to him. Now, this is the statistics I was telling you about that, that it troubles me. It, it, it also does something to wake me up. The builder generation, which is um, like my grandparents' generation, they were 65% Bible-based believers. Some of you guys have probably heard these statistics before. 
65% Bible-based believers. That means the majority of their generation believed the Bible and loved God. Pretty cool, huh? That's why a lot of generations now under them are calling them the greatest generation that ever lived, the World War II generation. They built so many things. A lot of the churches that are built was because of that generation. I mean, just an awesome generation that loved the Lord. Now, their children, the, the boomer generation, or what they were called back in the day, the hippies, y'all, some of y'all, some of y'all remember that. Some of you guys are in that generation. You remember. That was 34% <laughs> Bible-based believers. So that went down like a lot from 65 to 34 right? They're the ones with the free love and all this stuff. And then they got older and they got conservative. And <laughs> they wonder what the heck is going on with their children and grandchildren. The buster generation, God, could we have got a better name, Josh? Like generation X, right? Those are in their 30s and 40s. They were 16% Bible-based believers. Man, cut in half more than half again. How sad is that? And then the Bridger generation, or what they call the millennials, that's those who are in their 20s and, and even some of the upper teens. There's actually a generation now that my, like my younger kids are calling them Generation X. They don't have statistics about them just yet. <laughs> or Generation Z, my bad. Anyway, but the millennials, they're saying they're 4%. Audrey, that's your, that's your generation. 4%. You probably heard me preach this when you were in my youth ministry back in the day, huh? Yeah, those who are in their 20s. 4% Bible-based believers, friends. We need a revival of tender hearts in this place. But this is what the encouragement is. God can do more with 4% who has a tender heart, who is sensitive to the spirit, than he can with 96% of church folks who are just going through the motions. Come on, somebody. I have seen in this younger generation that those who actually get it, they get it. And God is getting a hold of their heart, and he is doing something awesome in them. So friends, we need to pray that God will continue to soften the young people's hearts. Y'all don't be distracted by that bee. It's not going to sting you. You're going to be all right. <laughs> You're missing a good part here. Now tune in. <laughs> God can do more with 4% that is soft towards the soft hearts towards the Lord, sensitive hearts towards the Lord than he can with 96% of people who are just going through the motions. I want to have a soft heart like Samuel did before the Lord. However, friends, we've got to understand that when we do have a Christian with a tender heart, with a sensitive heart, they're going to hear the call of God. And when they hear the call of God, the call is a mission from God. It's for real. It's serious. Isaiah the prophet answered his call the same way Samuel did, except for he didn't go to an Eli. Instead, he said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And I said, here am I, send me. See, many are called, but few are chosen. And what I believe that scripture means is God calls a lot of us, but few of us choose to answer it. See, it takes a tender and a soft heart to tune into God and to answer the call no matter what. And that's the thing, no matter what. Can you say no matter what? When you have a sensitive heart, it's a no, ma no matter what, no matter how hard it is. See, not only does God want to speak to our heart when we're, when we're troubled, he wants to speak to that tender heart. He also wants to speak to a teachable heart. Woo, say teachable. Oh, man, this is the thing that we need the most in the church a teachable spirit, a teachable heart. Luke 8, 18 says, so pay attention how you hear. The, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But to those who are not listening, 
Even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. See, being teachable is one of the most important things in following after God. It's what separates the on-fire Christian from the carnal Christian. Although that term carnal Christian, I really don't even understand how it can be because how can you be a Christian and be carnal? Carnal means worldly. But people use that term, a carnal Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm just a, you know, they're just a carnal Christian. We make excuses. No, they're, they're not. You cannot be a carnal Christian. If you are a true Christian, that doesn't mean you're never going to mess up and sin and, and make mistakes, but you're going to repent from that. You're not going to say, oh, well, that's just a carnal Christian. No, friends. I believe there's baby Christians, but not carnal Christians. So if you want to know the difference between those just church pew sitters, just those ones who come in and, and don't really apply it to your life, and those who actually get it and are on fire, it is being teachable. Now, there's, been, there's a couple at our South Toledo campus who um, came in right with some other couples. They all came from a crazy background. This couple, you know, had children outside of marriage, just like some other couples had children outside of marriage. This couple was known to be a party house. Um, they always partied. They always had things going on, just like a lot of other couples did. But the difference between this couple and so many of the other couples, and it wasn't because they got more attention from Pastor Josh and I. Actually, I think just a few times they got some one-on-one some you know, that kind of attention. The difference between them and so many other couples is they were teachable. One time someone was preaching, they talked about pornography. I don't even know how that got brought up, but this guy, a man, okay, got up and said, I'm done with this. I'm not going to look at this anymore. I'm going to get right. And he did. And then one time someone was teaching, well, you got to get, you know, if you're living with someone you're not married to, you should get married. And guess what? They planned their wedding, and they got married. And then more and more things were being taught, and more and more things, and no one could con condemn them for it. No one, like, they didn't know any better. They, were, they weren't raised in a Christian home. They knew nothing. But when they heard the truth, they changed their life to submit to the truth. They were teachable, friends. God wants us to be teachable, and it's what sets us apart. It's not enough just to hear the truth. We've got to obey the truth. That's what a teachable heart is. See, Samuel had a teachable heart because not only did he hear the truth of God's word, God asked him to do something that was very difficult, to confront his mentor, to confront the person who helped raise him. He was basically like a dad. The Bible says Hannah asked for Samuel to be, you know, she was barren and couldn't give birth, and so that was Samuel's mom. And when she went to the temple and she prayed, Eli was actually there, and Eli was thinking she was drunk because she was in such distress. I can just imagine it because sometimes I get my worship on, and I'm praying. I probably look drunk to someone who doesn't know any better. So I could just imagine. I mean, she was in some deep distress. She wanted to have a child, and she was not getting pregnant, so she was praying out, praying out for real for God, and she, she did end up getting um, pregnant with Samuel, and she promised God that if you give me a son, I'm going to give him back to you, and so after she weaned him from breastfeeding, m most people believe he was about five years old because they breastfed a lot longer back in those days, she brought him to the temple and said, Eli, this is the baby we, we prayed for, God gave him to me, and now he's God's, he's going to be working for you here at the temple. Can you imagine Okay, so, so here's Eli, and he's learned to be, he's learned, uh, or here's Samuel, and he's learned from Eli. And now God speaks to him. The very first time the word of the Lord was revealed to him was, go tell your mentor the judgment is coming. Woo-hoo! He was 12, y'all, 12. 
How hard would that be? Someone you looked up to, someone you respect, but guess what? When you're 12 years old, you can tell him when someone ain't doing right. He might have looked up and respected Eli, but he saw that Eli was letting his sons, who were older than Samuel, just do whatever they want. And even though Eli confronted them, he did not restrain them. There's a difference between confronting our children when they're doing wrong and saying, hey, you're doing wrong, and then putting it to a stop. My mom, thank God, she saw that I was doing wrong when I was underneath uh, when I was a teenager and I was underneath her authority, she saw that I was, see, that's the difference, y'all. Some of y'all grown parents still try to parent too much. But anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> when I was a teenager living in my mom's house, let me clarify that. She, she saw that I was doing wrong and she didn't just confront me on it. She put a stop to it and then got Pastor Bill and Sandy to help her out. Mm, I couldn't stand her at that time. <laughs> thank you. I, but now I thank her for it. Now I thank her for it. But see, Samuel confronted, but he didn't stop. He didn't stop him. Now this is a difference. His children were grown, but his children were still underneath his authority because they worked for him. Because he was the head priest, and even though they were grown, they worked for him. He could have fired them and maybe saved them judgment. But instead, he let them just go on about their business. Oh, friends, how hard it must have been for Samuel to do what he had to do. But he was teachable, and he did it. And you know what? I have to say this. I respect Eli, even though he did not raise his sons right, and he didn't stop his sons from doing, doing what he should have. He learned from that mistake, and instead, he taught Samuel to hear the voice of God because Samuel ran to him and not to God, and he's the one who told him, go sit down and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God is talking to you. This is the thing. We have a great need in today's church for godly mentors and coaches. Have you ever heard of the term? It's a really big thing called life coach. <laughs> I mean, some, some people pay big money for a life coach to come help them figure out their life. I was praying about this one day. And you know what God told me? He said, parents are life coaches. And if people actually had parents that pour into them, they wouldn't need so much of a life coach. And I will say this, even when you are grown, my dad always says the hardest years of parenting are the first, and now it's 40 years, he's been saying. <laughs> Because he still pours into me. It's a different kind of pouring in. He doesn't get to tell me exactly what to do, but he still coaches me. He still helps me when I'm going through things. He still cheers me on. Friends, that's what we're supposed to do even when our children are grown. We're still supposed to be there for them. We're still supposed to support them. We're still supposed to pray for them. And friends, we need to parent our children and our grandchildren. We need to grandparent them. We need to be there for those who do not have parents. We need to be mentors and advisors, and we need to be coaches and cheerleaders for this next generation because they need to hear the voice of God. And if you've heard it, it's your job to, to, to show them and teach them how they can hear it. See, Samuel was teachable. He learned from Eli, even though Eli was not perfect, God still used him. He still used Eli to instruct Samuel to help Samuel grow. Can you learn from somebody who's not perfect, friends? I hope so. I sure hope so, because you at the wrong church otherwise. <laughs> Can you still learn from your husband who you see his flaws? Mm. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. Can you still hear the voice of God through your wife, even though you know she was nagging? Mm. Can you still hear the voice of God speak through your children? Can you humble yourself and be the first one to repent when you discipline in anger? Oh. <laughs> 
I want to be able to hear from anybody because the Bible says that if we don't share the truth of God, that even the rocks will cry out. God spoke through a donkey. He can speak through me, and he can speak through you. Amen. Let's be teachable. Let's commit to be teachable. A heart that tunes in is a heart that sometimes is troubled. It's a heart that's tender. It's a heart that's teachable. It's also a tenacious heart. Say tenacious. I love this word because just speaking of my daddy, I remember when I was uh, in, I think, high school, and, and, and str- I struggled a little bit more academically, and, and I had to work really hard. And now my kids have that same dyslexia that runs in our family, and they struggle. But, you know, my dad looked at me and um, said to me one time when I was a teenager, he said, you know what, you have tenacity. And I was like, tenacity, what's that mean? And he told me that I don't give up, that I stay in the fight, and, and that even if it's hard, I'm going to stick to it. And then he said that was more important than being a straight-A student. And, and I, I will still remember those words to this day. And so now I look to my kids, and I got, I got a couple of them. I got one, man, this kid is such a stinking hard worker. He drives me nuts. He's like, okay, mom, next week I got this test, this test, and this test. And I'm like, ah. Oh. He's like, we got to prepare here. We can't wait till the last minute. We're gonna, are we going to the library? Did we get the book yet? Did we? I mean, like, he's on it. And I said, you know what, son, you are a hard worker. You have a great work ethic, and that's more important than everything coming natural. Tenacity. God wants to give us a tenacious heart. T- tenacious is defined as, ten- uh, is, as tending to keep a firm hold of something clinging and adhering closely to. Samuel showed his tenacity by obeying God and confronting his mentor. How hard must that have been for Samuel? He didn't realize that God speaking to Eli told, or that, that told him that it may be God speaking about Eli. Eli didn't realize that when he said, go listen to the voice of God. God is speaking. He didn't realize that he told him to go listen so that he could get a rebuke. You know what I mean? But Samuel was tenacious. Have you ever heard your master say something very difficult to you? If you haven't, I question whether you have ever heard him say anything at all. That was a quote by Oswell Chambers, friends. Because God doesn't just speak us sweet somethings. He does. He does whisper tender, beautiful things in our heart. But sometimes he speaks that hard thing that we got to do something that's uncomfortable, that we, you know, all progress, all progress, friends, takes place outside of our comfort zone. Oh, if only I could grow and grow and grow and just get better and better inside my nice little comfort zone, that would be nice. If only I could lose weight by eating all the donuts I want, that would be lovely. I wish there was a donut diet. I would so join it. I love donuts. If only... I could build muscles by just looking at my arms and saying, get buffer. I can speak. I would do that all the time. I would like six-pack up here. But guess what? If we want that, we got to go after it. The same is true in our walk with Christ. If only I could just look at my Bible and say, oh, grow me in the Lord. No, I got to open it up and read it. Friends. God wants to give us tenacity. That means doing the hard thing. God doesn't just speak to us just to hear him. He speaks to us so we can obey him. However, despite Eli's fault, Samuel set an example for godliness to Eli even at the age of 12 years old because the Bible says in the very beginning of of 1 Samuel 
uh, 3, chapter uh, verse 1, that the boy Samuel ministered before Eli. The word minister means serve. He served Eli. He was Eli's armor bearer, if you will. He was his servant. And so Eli was able to receive from Samuel because he saw that Samuel lived a godly life. Friends, God wants to use us to minister to other people, to serve other people, but we can't just use our words to serve other people. We've got to use our actions to serve other people. And to do that, sometimes it's hard. It takes tenacity. It's hard planning a new church. Thank you all for coming and helping us do so. It's not easy. It's not easy. It takes tenacity. It takes those who say, you know what? I'm not going to give up. It may take time to grow a church here, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to believe the word of God, and I'm going to stick to it. Can we get some stick to it kind of Christians up in the house today? Come on. We need some stick to it. It's not easy at my job, but I'm going to stick to it because God has called me here. It's not easy in my marriage, but I'm going to stick to it because this is what God has blessed me with. It's not easy raising my kids, especially when they get to those teenage years. Bless the Lord. And their hormones are going crazy and they're acting, you know, whatever. And they're pulling down their baseball caps like, please, mom, you know, you're not talking about me. It's not easy being a pastor's kid, is it, Shua? But we got to stick to it. It's what God has called us to do. Do you have tenacity in the house today? Do you have tenacity? Are you willing to do the hard thing God is asking you to do? Mm. If only we can grow in the Lord by just doing the easy things. It would be so much more fun and easy. But God didn't call us to the easy. He called us to the hard. Tenacity. Who wants tenacity? I want tenacity. A heart that tunes in is a heart that sometimes is troubled. A heart that tunes in is a heart that is tender. A heart that tunes in is a heart that is tenacious. It's a heart that is teachable. It's a heart that is tenacious. And guess what? It's a tested heart. You're going to be tested, friends. That's the last point here today. A tested heart is a heart that tunes in to really hear what God says. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your what? In your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. God sometimes tests his people. God often will test an, uh, the anointing of a new leader by allowing the old leader to still be there for a while in office. See, God did this with David. He kept Saul in office, even though David was already anointed. God did this with Samuel. He tested him by uh, anointing him early to be the new prophet, the new leader of the church, and to confront his mentor. God sometimes tests us in things. He tested the people of, uh, in the, uh, the Israelites, and guess what? They didn't pass the test, so they died in the desert, and it was their children that came and took the promised land. Friends, I don't want to die in the desert. I know I'm going to have my desert experiences, but I want to learn in the desert so I can go take my promised land. And that means I have to, be real, I have to realize I'm going to be tested. You're going to be tested. And we get tested when we actually answer the call of God. The testing doesn't come before you answer the call. The testing comes after you answer the call. After you say, here I am, Lord, send me, use me. Guess what? Then the tests come. 
Are you really going to put action with what your mouth just said? Are you really going to put action to what you just said? Yes, here I am. Use me. Your tests come through. They come through the Lord. And sometimes they come through circumstances. But friends, your tests can turn into testimonies. So listen to what the scripture says in the last few verses here. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and let none of his words fall to the ground. And Israel from Dan to Bathsheba recognized Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear to Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Friends, your testing comes when you grow in the Lord. Would you stand with your feet to, on your feet with me today? <laughs> stand with your feet, friends. <laughs> God wants to give us the kind of heart that hears his voice. I usually like to have a little bit more funnies in my message. <laughs> but today was just a little bit on the serious side, and that's okay because I believe God wants to do some heart operations in this place today. Would you just close your eyes and focus on the Lord today? Friends, if you know that you need to grow in one of these areas Maybe you're in here and you know that you've hardened your heart because you've, you've justified sin in your heart and you need your heart to be tender again. And you want to just repent from hardening your heart. I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you would just raise your hand, everyone's eyes are closed. Would you just raise your hand and just say, you know what, God, I, I want to repent of having a hardened heart. And I, I want you to just soften it. I want to be soft before you. I want to be soft before you. Thank you. Thank you. Some of you are in this place, and you know what? God wants to make you a little bit more teachable. Sometimes you may, may think you already know everything, and, and God is saying, you know what? I want you to learn a little bit more. I want to be teachable. I want you to be teachable. Would you raise your hand if you know that God is speaking to you about being teachable in this place today? Yep, yep, yep. Many of you. Thank you, Lord. Some of you guys are going through some troubles. And you've been trying to figure it out on your own. And God is saying, would you lay your troubles down at my feet today and watch me work? If that is you in here today, would you raise your hand? Yeah, yep, thank you. Thank you. Some of you are in this place and God wants to make you tenacious. He wants to give you tenacity where you do not give up, even though it's hard. If that is you today, would you raise your hand? I'm going to ask you, if you raised your hand and you just want a little bit more of God, would you make that bold step of faith? Would you come line up here? We're going to pray for you. If, and, and you know what? No one knows exactly what you raised your hand for because their eyes were closed. It's between you and God. Would, would you come on up here and let us pray for you? Because God wants to do a work. He wants to do a work. 